You're listening to the American Soccer Analysis Show. Dude, you're, you're the Tommy McNamara of podcasting. It's great. Thank you. Wait, what? With your hosts, Ian Lamberson. If you say one more bad thing about my growler, I'm going to cut you. And Harrison Crow. Patrick Mullins is what happens when you least expect it. Hello, everybody, and yes, welcome to the American Soccer Analysis Show. I am your host, Ian Lamberson. With me, as always, is a man that needs no introduction, unless you've never heard this show before, in which case he does need an introduction, and that man is Harrison Crow. Say hey to everybody, Harrison. Hey, everybody. <laughs> Hi, Harrison. Uh, how was your opening weekend? We did it. We were finally here. Enough of all the off-season speculation and uh, talk about uh, transfers and trades and GAM and TAM. We can get just just right into the meat and potatoes of good old Major League Soccer. Yeah, I watched all the games the last two days. Yeah, okay, so you were... <laughs> we had to put off the recording for one day because you were like, I actually haven't seen the games yet, so it's good. You are now 100% qualified to speak on all of these games, correct? Like, my hands are up in the air. I wouldn't call myself qualified, but, you know, I'm sure I have an opinion about most things. And I'd be glad to. Sh- this yeah, is the this internet. Is the internet. I'm, I'm, I'm not mad online. Freaking, you're yeah. not mad online, even a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, it's really good to be back and, and 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 watching games again and seeing these teams we've kind of been speculating about all off season uh, for the whole what nine weeks the off season is. Um, uh, it feels like a lot longer, uh, what they finally look like coming out. And uh, we saw some kind of surprising things this week, but I want to start off with something. And this is a new segment. And when I say new segment, I mean, it's not a new segment. It's something we tried to do a lot last season, but we weren't able to do it consistently. Um, but now that we're in a new season, we're going to promise to try our best to do it every episode Probably. Um, And that segment is the most interesting stat from this week. And I might put in like a a cool voice part there, but but don't hold me to that. Um, Today, ours comes to us from our good pal, DC Exile, who wanted me to mention his heroic victory in Nerd League fantasy football over the Chivas Tribute Goat Herd, despite only being able to score nine players versus his opponent's 11. Congratulations, man. That was a legendary win on opening day. Um, And what he pointed out to me was something very interesting about the DC United versus Orlando match. Uh, Now, if you remember, in the first half, uh, PC uh, for Orlando was sent off after video review, uh, one of the many incidents uh, that video review was involved in. and they had a one nothing lead. Um, then uh, go to halftime, come back out after the second half, and something strange happened. Orlando had 261 passes, 88% uh, success, versus 161 to DC, 77% uh, success. Orlando had nine shots to DC United, seven. 62.2% possession for Orlando in the second half. That's versus 55 in the first half. And DC United was up a man this entire time and you look at the only thing that goes up for dc united in the second half uh and that's defensive action so 20 tackles to 14 for orlando 11 interceptions versus three 16 clearances versus four to orlando and 20 aerial duels one to seven for orlando i think it's no surprise you're looking at this that orlando was able to come back and steal a point through pino at the death yeah i mean so 
you kind of wonder, okay, a lot of people will be like, well, DC is absolutely awful. But the thing is, and you kind of look at how they're configured as far as uh, their their team and really the tactical dynamic of how they're approaching games. They're not configured to take control of games. They're not, they're not, uh, basically they don't have the ability to leverage the man advantage. They are tactically built to run down the field, uh, and then soak up as much pressure and they stuck to their game. Uh, and I thought they did it pretty well. I thought, um, you, you look at it, it's not like they got hugely outshot in the second half, nine to seven, um, in that second half. And that's with, you started having a daily on with the yellow card. You had, um, Steve Birnbaum with the yellow card. So things kind of got a little bit more difficult for them from a defensive standpoint and how they were mm-hmm. going to run the game, but they didn't have possession, uh, esque, uh, ball handlers, right? The, the most that you're going to have is you're going to have a sod, you're going to have maybe Stiver a little bit. But I mean, it's not like you have somebody up top and Darren Maddox that can do some hold up play and help transition the defense in uh, or transition that defense forward in the attack. So you're kind of stuck in this halfway um, <laughs> in well, we have the we have the ability to take advantage of the game that, you know, they're down a man, but really does doesn't sue how we're built to operate. And I, I kind of like it. I like that they stuck to their guns. And yeah, they're going to take a few shots. Uh, Pino uh, did, did his thing at the very end. Um, he's going to be somebody that's going to be a lot of fun to watch this year, especially early on with, uh, with Dom Dwyer being out. So that'll be something kind of like for the mm-hmm. average MLS viewer to kind of mark on their uh, on their weekly calendar. Hey, I want to watch Orlando. You know, yeah, they're going to have Kleschen. Yeah, they're going to have uh, Yoshi Otun, who I thought is wasn't great, but he's obviously going to get better. Um, same with Justin Miram, which was a little bit weird seeing him up top rather than kind of rather than like yeah, I know he drifted wide, but you know it was just a little bit of a different dynamic, right? Very good in that match, Justin Miram. Um, I guess what I, I would say is that there's a, an interesting idea that I think we're starting to see some teams have where the ball isn't something that they actually want. Um, and I feel like uh, we saw this to some degree with Houston last year. And I think that's one of the things that, that when we look at the Western Conference Finals, um, you know, you saw Seattle have a lot of success against them uh, because they decided to let them have the ball. And it definitely wasn't what Houston wanted or expected. I wonder if DC is going to be this kind of team that we're seeing and, and just how um, – is it just as simple as just giving them the ball back? Can, can you defeat this whole strategy like that? Well, I, I don't think it's going to be as simple as defeating it just by, <laughs> just by <laughs> right. you know pushing the, the possession right back. But I think the other side of it is um, they're going to go hard when they have the opportunity. I mean, we saw that uh, that – death uh, from above type uh, mentality from Maddox to where he was just screaming downfield at certain points of the game. He was kicking it past center backs and just being like, look, I'm going to take, uh, you know, Jonathan Spector on and I'm going to flat out beat him. Uh, yeah. There, there was the, uh, El, uh, El Manier, uh that had the amazing come from behind block that just blew me oh, away. Yeah, that, uh, that recovery run was spectacular. It, they it looked was, to have a real good player there. Well, it was very DeAndre Yedlin esque. Uh, it brought me back to when Yedlin made the uh, made the uh, U.S. Open Cup save in, in Philadelphia. Um, mm-hmm, I don't mm-hmm. if, you, if you recall. It was very it was very similar, and it was very exciting. It was really cool to see because yeah, I thought that they Patrick Mullins finishes that. But uh, besides that, 
Patrick Mullins is what happens when you least expect it, Ian. <laughs> We're still waiting. <laughs> oh, you got a few minutes, and that was good. But uh, no one expects Patrick Mullins. It, it, sadly, it, it seems like that's kind of been the case. But um, one thing that you can kind of look at this game by, and I think a lot of people generally are, is the expected goals, right? Um, obviously, DC United had a huge advantage. Uh, they posted, I think, I think according to ASA, we have 2.33 away expected goals versus Orlando City's 1.27. Um, I, I don't have it immediately in front of me, but something that should be annotated is a things change in game states. Right? Not only did that red card happen, but DC United was up, so there is no reason for them to ba- basically they forced Orlando to come at them, and that enabled. DC United to have some really high value opportunities, uh, both on the break and in really good uh, in really good placements out on the field. So that again, it it suited DC United. Yeah, they gave away that last, and a lot of people are going to be, uh, you know, kind of moaning and complaining. And there's going to be the uh, what do they call it, Benny Ball uh, over in DC when they kind of play unattractive soccer. But DC United has 14 straight games on the road this year. This is this is about the long game for them. This is about them staying relevant over the course of the entire season. And they got a really valuable one, one point. And if they continue doing what they did in Orlando, they're going to get more than just one point. It's one of those situations that it's hard to look at, um, you know, once you have it in the proper context of saying, okay, they threw away two points. Like they did. Like they had that match won. They had every reason to go on and win that match. Um, and, and they gave up a goal at the end and, and, and only secured one point. But if you look at it, you know, pull the pull the pull the, pull the, the telescope a little further back. Uh, you know, you can look at it and say like, hey, if I had offered you one point before the match, I'm sure every DC United fan would have gladly taken it. Yeah, no, absolutely, right. And not only that, but said, hey, not only will you take the uh, take the match, but you're also going to have better shots throughout the game, and your defense is going to look somewhat pretty competent, which, I mean, what have I been preaching about for the last two months that I've been completely fearful of is that DC United has a terrible black line. Well, guess what? They actually showed they were able to limit, and, and granted, Orlando City has, you know, they were without Sasha Kleschen, without Dom Dwyer, their two most powerful attacking pieces. But outside mm-hmm. of that, you know, Orlando City has some really interesting uh, other, other guys. And, and despite that, they're able to kind of hold Orlando at bay. And that's, if I'm a DC fan, there's a lot to take from that. That's a, that's really positive. All right. So before we move on and get into discussing a few more of these interesting uh, matches here, um, since we're, since we're starting a new season uh, and already this weekend, we've seen a lot of stuff on Twitter, a lot of stuff in the MLS sphere of uh, commentary uh, kind of talking about, um, well, and I mean, it's a lot of fun. A lot of it's done tongue in cheek, but but making kind of wild sort of proclamations based on the results of one match. Um, and one of the things that people use for this, uh, and, the, and one of the things that, that we do here at the American Soccer Analysis that we like to provide, uh, especially with the caveat this early in the season, is uh, the expected goals total. 
Um, and so I guess uh, what I was going to ask you is if you could probably, I think most of our listeners, if they've been listening before or visit the site, have a decent idea of, of what, what we mean by an expected goal and, and what we what we use that 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 that, that stat for. Uh, but but could you give us just kind of a rundown of, of what it, basically it is and, and kind of how to take it in context this early in the season? Yeah, absolutely. So expected goals is just very simply how frequently in a given shot, how frequently that is made and converted into a goal, right? So if if a, a shot from outside the 18-yard box happens to, to go in about 9% of the time, it'll be 0-9, which is the associated uh, worth. I mean, you, you look at Kevin Molino's goal, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, but his goal was the lowest open play, his second goal rather, um, that kind of bounced uh, beyond Andrew Tarball's reach was the lowest open play uh, expected goal in MLS this past weekend that, that made into a, that was converted to a goal. But that only happens like the expected goal that was associated with it. The value was about 3%. That doesn't mean it was a bad shot um, necessarily. There's a lot of things that it doesn't take into a, a account, um, such as right there, you could see Tarball got a late jump on it. There's a lot of traffic in there and he kind of put a nice bend on it, which you know played into his advantage. But that being said, we can start putting a value in saying how good was the opportunity relative to um, another shot that was maybe that could have been taken or maybe a shot that uh, did, was taken earlier in the game by another individual. So expected goals is just a way for us to value and put a premium on what type of shots are being taken. For instance, and, and this is this is the big one, right, is Seattle, and we'll get into it in a little bit, but the Seattle expected goals was really high. Likewise, you also had a team such as Sporting Kansas City that also had, you know, a pretty good expected goal from, uh, from the weekend. I think theirs was... Uh, looking at it, it was 1.53, you know, uh, so they scored zero goals, both teams scoring zero goals, but both putting up over a goal and expected goals. Uh, the thing isn't that, you know, they were robbed or they got unlucky necessarily. Um, you, from there, we can just say that they might have. To some degree. Uh, yeah, I guess the, the the idea is that they did get unlucky at, to, to some degree, but the idea Right, but we have to break it down a little bit further, and we need to look at it. Mm -hmm. um, Sporting Kansas City, uh, the majority of their shots were taken beyond twenty yards. That that's not really doing your team. That's not really being a competitive and uh, opportunistic in those shots. Whereas Seattle had the majority of their shots in and around the six yard box. I think actually they had uh, four or five shots inside the six yard box. They had a much higher. Oh, I've got a, <laughs> I've got a fun stat for that real quick. Uh, yes, they have four, I believe. And just to put that in some sort of context, last season, uh, for the entire season, uh, Montreal had six chances inside <laughs> the six yard box. <laughs> yeah. uh, but but right. I, and Continue. that just kind of bring, brings it to us, right? Uh, brings us back to the whole crux of the the argument. You want to see teams um, creating high leverage opportunities consistently because those will eventually lead to uh, to goals being scored. And it's not to say that Kansas City taking shots from beyond 18, 20 yards isn't going to yield goals. I think eventually they're going to strike on a on a number of them. Uh, but I think because 
these are short memories, right? So just because one is 3% and one's 4% and one's 5%, this doesn't build up and say, well, out of these, you know, shots, one out of 20 will go in. But that's not how it works, right? Um, we can look at it and say, well, it's not likely, these are less likely to happen versus maybe penetrating the box and saying, creating an opportunity, a better, higher uh, leverage opportunity inside the 18 yard box. That's probably what we want to see them do a little bit more frequently. Yeah, it might be less shots, uh, but it's a better look and it's more probable to create a goal. Um, these, this is the language that we kind of want to talk about versus um, saying, well, they just were bad finishers. Well, what was the quality and what was a real historically, what realistically has happened? Um, you know, it's not an argument about whether or not finishing does or doesn't exist. Guys hit balls um, squarely uh, all the time. And then conversely, they hit balls uh, erroneously and you know uh, Miguel Almiron who was right in front of the Houston I, I I legitimately don't know how he didn't just uh tap that ball in like even the degree and the spin that came off his boot of the ball is just it was uncanny and these are things that we don't expect but even his shot um, granted, we don't take into account with the placement of the goalie or the defenders, but even his shot was only 40% uh, expected to go in. So that tells you how difficult it is. Um, obviously, considering the elements, you kind of expect it to be a little bit higher, but it should try to communicate some element to how difficult it is to really score a goal and that these things aren't necessarily taken for granted and it, there's a lot of skill and even with a lot of skill things go wrong all the time and so we can't take for granted all these things and that's what expected goals helps communicate to us and helps bring us back down to earth so i don't get um tons of twitter um remarks concerning how garbage will ruin us <laughs> that's putting right a point on it now according to uh Again, very early returns um, on the American soccer analysis model. Uh, the most prolific offensive player in Major League Soccer is CJ Sapong. Um, the second most prolific offensive player in Major League Soccer is Will Bruin. Um, obviously, this is a good time to talk about sample size and how when we put these stats out early in the season, they're interesting to look at. They're interesting to look at within the context of a single game. But to make giant sort of sweeping generalizations about them, probably an extremely short-sighted thing to do, correct? No. What are you talking about? That's, that <laughs> yeah. seems very logical. I mean, Will Bruin's 28. What, CJ Sapong's 27? Yeah. Uh, 29, excuse me, 29. These guys still have one more World Cup cycle in them. These guys right. are the cream of the crop. This is All where right. we're going with this. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, yeah, I feel like, I feel like we could just capture your. Uh, we could capture this one week in one of the snow globes where her, or Will Brim was number two, and you could just shake it every night before you go to bed and just smile. <laughs> uh, myself or my, Mark Kastner. Mark, I think Mark Kastner claims that he's a little bit bigger Will Bruin fan than I am. But uh, regardless, this is great. Regardless, you know, I, I obviously they're not the two mo most prolific uh, attackers. They're both very good, and I think they're both going to have really strong years. The fact that uh, CJ Sapong this year was not was the undisputed number one, and then on top of that, they built pieces around him. Um, you know that that's mm -hmm. really exciting, and I think that kind of um, that and the fact that they just absolutely abused a very bad New England, um, you know, also says a little bit about that game. So, yeah.
And also to kind of bring it back a little bit to what you were saying earlier, uh, a good example of what you were talking about right there contained within uh, that game where you had a guy like CJ Sapong who missed two very good chances um, badly <laughs> and, uh, you know, actually buried his third um, and seemed to be even a little bit more difficult chance than the first two. Uh, but with those three chances generated enough expected goals, uh, you know, he is a player that's on the top of the list right now, uh, as little as that may be. So it just kind of goes to show you that, yes, there is something that can be done from that. He created three quality chances and got one. Uh, should he have had more? Probably. <laughs> Those were really good shots that he kind of missed. But this is just a good example of how if you look at these things uh, one at a time, you'll be confused. But if you kind of see them and how they built and the results as they build over the course of you know one game, especially over the course of a season or more than one season, you'll sort of uh, start to get, I think, a much better idea of what it is that this model is trying to show. Yeah, exactly. And again, this is on the whole season. We really want to look at expected goals uh, and have that conversation after about three months, right? We want to have about 10 to 15 games worth of a set to say, wow, this team is really doing really well in building their attack, right? And they're they're creating shots in good locations. Here's uh, the data that we have to support that versus, well, you know, LAFC only created six opportunities, so they're really bad. You know, uh, I thought Carlos Vela was really good. He he had two different through balls um, in which you don't you really haven't seen a lot of guys take advantage of that. And he placed them in really well uh, orchestrated manners that uh, exposed Seattle uh, in situations that really you haven't seen a lot of a lot of other players and a lot of creative players do previously. So um, I don't know. I, I think that you just kind of have to um, look at it on a contextual base, basis and kind of realize that over the course of the season, there will be, um, there will be moments, <laughs> right? All right. That sounds good. Now let's go ahead and let's, let's transition a little bit here. We kind of briefly touched on some of these, but let's go back. Let's talk about these games. Um, some very, very interesting ones, some surprising results, which we'd like to get into here in a minute. Uh, first match of the year, um, we have the Columbus Crew take on Toronto FC. Columbus wins this match 2 nothing at Toronto. Giassi Zardes, potential golden boot winner. Um, <laughs> uh, Toronto actually takes the edge on expected goals here. Uh, 1.37 to Columbus's 1.31. I think this is a great match to start an MLS season with because it just goes to show you that anything is is going to happen. Yeah, and, and not only that, but you even look up to the 40-minute mark in that first goal. Uh, the 44th, I guess, is when uh, Federico Higuain uh, scored his goal. But, I mean, looking up to that point, it was dead split. And Toronto when it was attacking in a very specific manner. And not only that, but they were pressing. It was actually really surprising. I think um, one of the things that uh, Total Football, to- he and I, uh, Total Football on, on, on Twitter, um, he and I, I've been going through and we've been working on an ASA project, but one of the things that we kind of noticed was, and this was actually his thing that he picked out. They were second in defensive actions in the attacking, uh, in the attacking third um, relative to the amount of passes their opponents were making. So that is to say uh, from the data perspective, these guys were pushing guys up forward. And you saw that um, if you watched the game, you could kind of see that uh, between um, Vasquez being very high, Altador dropping back and chasing. Um, you had Bradley Osario. Um, 
you, you had just had this dynamic of guys that were just constantly pushing that high line. And that's also Columbus. You can kind of see them possess that ball back a little bit further to where they're kind of trying to stretch Toronto back out. So they send Martinez so they could send Zardes so they could even uh, send uh, Santos a little bit. Iguain's movement in it was just absolutely brilliant. Um, the way that he kind of moved Mavinga and uh, Zavaleta from time to time with his runs. So it was, um, it was this very cat and mouse, very strategic game. And I, I think that it was absolutely brilliant. And it, Toronto win, uh, wins kind of the XG out of this because they're behind and because uh, Columbus becomes a little bit reclusive. And specifically, they kind of start to seed possession after a while due to the fact that they have the have the lead. I mean, you kind of see... Yeah, yeah. And, and you can kind of see, that, especially even after this, the first goal, um, from halftime on out, they just let Toronto have possession. And, you know, to an extent, you could kind of say Toronto got unlucky. They had some really good looks. And Josie Altidore um, just kind of, I don't know, man, this is like the third time I feel like third time in three games that he's had some opportunity to score a goal and he's just had something go wrong at the very last minute. Like he's made a really good run or he's, you know, and he gets really smart run. He gets called off sides. Um, He finds a really, he gets found making a really clever run and the ball just doesn't come off. Uh, The the next one, he finds the ball, finds the run, but it gets blocked at the last second and removed off the line. I mean, it just, it seems like one time after another, he just kind of falls off short. And I feel like these are early moments, right? These are, these are typical of early season uh, situations. And I think that you're going to see, um, I think you're going to see a big year from Altador with what he's been doing and, and really the players that they've uh, brought in over the past, um, what, over the past three months. Yeah. And I, I know that it, it, it's, it's just one game and uh, it's, it, it, it's easy to get excited, but uh, I do think that the more than being worried about Toronto at this point, especially as they're kind of had, you know, one eye on a CCL match, uh, you know, legitimately going to be the biggest match they play this season and the hardest one. Um, you know, I, I do think this is a good time to maybe get a little excited about Columbus, who uh, once again look like they're going to show up and, and, and they're going to play. And that, that's a, a very exciting thing going forward. Uh, the next match we had uh, was probably, I'd say, our most surprising result of the weekend, uh, and that was Houston running absolute right on Atlanta uh, and taking a four-nil win. Uh, the game was over in like twenty minutes. It was it was fast and it was uh, uh, it was emphatic. <laughs> um, Atlanta managed to generate one point seven four expected goals. Houston two point one five. But this is one of those where again. Um, you know, one of those chances was Atlanta missing a penalty, uh, Almiron. Um, yeah, this was all yeah uh, just to kind of, I, I know, why aren't we, t- the hashtag, why aren't we talking about Atlanta right now, right? So I, we can talk about Houston, we can talk about uh, yeah. like Albert Elise, who w- had a really great game. Yeah. Um, Outstanding. We'll get to that in a second. Yeah. Atlanta had exactly the type of year, or the, exactly the type of game that we like waited all last year for them to have mm-hmm. in, in so many different ways uh, from Al Moran missing the penalty. And, and really that almost like was just that. And then his, his missed opportunity right in front of goal. Both of those moments was like encapsulating kind of uh, that fall back to earth that we 
kept waiting for in, in, a, in a way. Um, last season, I, I saw Joseph Martinez slip on a couple different occasions on on opportunities that were I thought he was going to either break loose or um, dribble by somebody and he slipped or, you know, he lost possession of the ball. And it was just it. it there were so many moments where I felt like everything that we've been waiting for, these little these little things that we've been waiting to go wrong all happened all at once. And, you know, I don't know about Nagby sitting going forward. I don't know if they're going to make these holistic changes. I will tell you, I was extremely disappointed not to see Andrew, Andrew Carlton in the second half. Like, I don't know. I don't, I don't understand why that they, they put on Vasquez in front of him. I didn't realize he has almost 300, like Vasquez now has almost 300 minutes. Does anybody? Uh, yeah, that that's wow. Um, but going over to Houston, I mean, I'm sure y- you were excited. You, we got to see uh, both Darwin Sorin, that we got to see Alvarez, we got to see uh, see Kyoto. I mean, this was this was Houston's attack. Yeah, there are a lot yeah. of there are a lot of ASA favorites um, on the Houston Dynamo. Uh, Marmonotas being a personal, um, you know, hero. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and uh, yes, uh, they were extremely good going forward. And, and and to speak on Atlanta, which I think is you know uh, they were they were they were a bad they were bad. Um, but again, this is just one game, and this fall to earth, it, it could just be a bounce, and it's going to happen. It happens to the very best teams. It happened to Toronto this weekend. It happened to Seattle this weekend. It happened to Atlanta. Um, I think that you're going to uh, ultimately. I think they're going to be fine. There is some you know like. All everyone's talking about is this this lack of a number six and how they never replaced Carlos Carmona, and that is going to be an issue. Um, but it's something that I, if there's any team that I'm not worried about being able to buy a player, it's it's Atlanta. <laughs> I'm sure they'll find someone. Uh, I, yeah, and but I don't think that that was just it, right? Like, so you know, we just kind of preferenced uh, prefer preferenced. Uh, we kind of started it, talking about it, uh, Elise, but yeah, yeah. so. Elise absolutely burned Garza and not just a few times, like repeatedly made Garza his own personal. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, just talk, looking at the chalkboard, he beat Garza uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, nice. seven, seven different times via dribbles, successful dribbles. Yeah, he was, Elise was but, outstanding. It was, uh, it was incredible. It was, it was, uh, you know, he's not, his name didn't pop up in on the, the box score as much as you like. He got the one assist, but he was, you know, a very big part of every one of those goals, just creating havoc in that back line. No, absolutely. And, and so you, you look about what I, I think some of the worry that we've had um, in, in regards to Houston was the fact that they were going to have moments to where they weren't going to be able to play their game. And for this game, wasn't that. This was almost an evolution, and um, uh, in a lot of different ways uh, that Matt Doyle pointed out already. On uh, they had this line that they stepped up. They they confronted the Atlanta attack, and they just absolutely made so many dispossessions and t- successful tackles that they just owned their opportunities and they countered aggressively. So it wasn't just the the fact that they 
they didn't bunker, but it wasn't just the fact that they um, sat back. They aggressively won the ball in strategic locations and then created these high leverage opportunities through exposing that that space out on the wings. And it's brilliant. And if there's, yeah, and if there's any team, I think that Houston would have been, you know, licking their proverbial chops about a team that they know wants to possess the ball. That's a little fragile at the back. Uh, I, I think they would have been very, very uh, yeah, intrigued by this Atlanta matchup, and, and, and that shows they did it well. So um, the next match we had uh, Philadelphia coming out and defeating New England two to nothing. Uh, Philadelphia, a man up a large part of this game, <clears throat> uh, generated three point four nine expected goals. New England. A very, very paltry 0.76. Uh, Philadelphia was fine. Uh, they were good. Uh, they still have their new number 10 coming in. Uh, a Cam looked fine. Uh, they, they looked okay in this match, but how disappointing was New England? Um, I don't know if we can properly put into words. Like, not even, yeah. like, even uh, before we even get started in their, their play, um, Nemeth on the bench, um, Kalen Rowe on the bench. It, this this kind of felt like a cold opening. You know what yeah. I'm saying? They, it, it, it just – it was really odd. It, it seemed like they were still in preseason. And that's a problem because, uh, you know, Brad Friedel, the one thing he's talked about is fitness, 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 just hammering that point over and over again. The team did not look fit. Team did not look disciplined. Team did not look at all cohesive. Um, you know, I, I wrote the the preview for them. Yeah. And it was like a, a very – one of the things I said was I was always questioning if this team was good or not. I really had a lot of hope in my heart that, that they were going to come out and be decent this year. I Those hopes have evaporated completely. And I know it's still early, but but like it was that abject. Well, it, it really looked like – so many different adaptations to the U.S. men's national team uh, during Clemson era to where he would say fitness, fitness, fitness. He'd preach about these uh, intangibles uh, in terms of, you know, leadership and uh, tactics. And then we'd get out to the field and we just see this um, complete disconnect from what was being preached yeah. out, out in the media. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm hugely um, disappointed. I didn't think Fagundes looked good at all. Uh, Aguadella had a, had a couple moments that were kind of interesting. The back line looked awful. I mean, you could just see that uh, well, from... And, they were uh, halfway, and half of them were dismissed from the game by the end of it. <laughs> True story. Uh, the one thing that I was really excited to see is Teal Bunbury yeah. get some get some time, yeah. and not only just make uh, create some time, he also stood out. Uh, I thought he was probably one of the best players. Uh, not probably, he was the best thing uh, going on for New England. Yeah. Uh, so it would be really interesting to see if he continues to stick out there, and uh, if not. Um, how they're going to uh, deal with that because I think that he's been very deserving uh, for a couple years and and it looks like this might be his time. All right. Uh, we've already, I think, discussed the DC United-Orlando game a little bit, so we'll, we'll just move on that. I think we said enough about that. Um, FC Dallas, uh, Real Salt Lake finished 1-1. Uh, FC Dallas, the benefactor of an own goal. Uh, they generated 1.35 expected goals. Salt Lake generated 
0.62, uh, but Plata, you know, kind of does a Plata thing and and goes around most of the team, and he's very good in that position. I think this was a really actually a lot more entertaining of a match than than the the, the expected goals would kind of lead you to believe. Um, ultimately, I'd say a fair result too, but. Um, I don't know that uh, we've seen uh, either of these teams kind of. Uh, no, and, and really, honestly, Dallas is coming off a, that horrible display uh, in Champions League. So it, it yeah. we, they came out flat again, uh, in my opinion, uh, which I, I you got to be worried if you're a Dallas fan. Like, I, I don't know what's going on. I feel like they have a lot of really good pieces. Um I, I'm really excited uh, about Jacorier's. I think that he's going to be a really interesting piece. Not only that, but uh, we learned this week that uh, he's been doing some uh, some soccer analytics himself, which uh, if he at all listens, we would love to have a conversation with you sometime. Uh, on that. Let me take a moment and just uh, <laughs> throw that out there. He is. Yeah, he is. <laughs> With that one interview, he moved very, very yeah. high on our uh, ASA list of loved players. Um, but, but yes, uh, obviously FC Dallas and uh, all the CCL teams, there's a little bit of a caveat around. Um, and actually, none of them did well uh, results-wise uh, <clears throat> this week. So um, I think that's still a wait and see. Uh, our next match, yeah. we had San Jose versus Minnesota. Um, San Jose... Three goals. They went 3-2, gave up two kind of strange late goals to Kevin Molino. Uh, they were sort of superfluous, but 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 good for Minnesota for grabbing a couple. Uh, San Jose did a nice 2.08 expected goals. Minnesota 1.11. Uh, I think the biggest question that kind of popped up in this match was more on Minnesota's side, which was this decision uh, by Heath to uh, prefer Don Lottie uh, to his leading goal scorer and a guy that's in the U.S. men's national team picture and Christian Ramirez. Yeah, free Ramirez, right? Yeah. If you don't want a Minnesota, I'm sure I know a lot of teams that would. Uh, well, and and not only that, but you have to look at what they've spent uh, in terms of league resources and know that their ownership doesn't have a lot of money. So you kind of have to wonder if they wouldn't be willing to part. I mean, I threw a tweet out earlier with, you know, can, considering the the Sounders are obviously in the hunt for uh, a striker right now. Honestly, I'm, I'm surprised um, someone hasn't called that over there and and not just the Sounders. I mean, you got a couple, you have a couple of teams that uh, looks, you know, we just kind of mocked sporting earlier. Who's to say sporting doesn't pick up that phone and say with all that allocation that they, that, that dragon's gold that they be, that they're sitting on right now, uh, that, they don't try to make a move. And, and, you know, with Minnesota being in the situation that they're in, that would actually play to their favor, right? So they basically, and and I see this happening a lot in Minnesota's at least short time going forward with MLS, they're going to have to take advantage of their players while their value is high, sell, bring in more league resources, because that's how they're going to basically build their team up and not be terrible. Um, it, it, it was kind of a, yeah, I think that the most, you know, when I was looking at these guys in preseason and they brought in, you know, uh, Echo O, who is a, a Cameroonian left back or center back or defensive midfielder. I never could get a hundred percent solid answer on that. Um, but other than that, they didn't really like, they brought in Tyrone Mears, who was probably the least bad of that four. Uh, but still, I mean, they were a bad defense last year. They were a horrible defense last year. They did basically nothing to change uh, that. Pr- 
and surprise, surprise, they're still letting in, you know, well, and, like and to give, uh, you know, them a little bit of credit, right? Uh, Francisco Calvo's not that bad. He's actually pretty, he's a pretty decent uh, defender. Maybe I would say he is. He was not, he was sure, not on sure. That, on this uh, absolutely. Day. He made some mistakes. But that being said, I didn't think Jose, uh, San Jose had any overwhelming uh, attacking uh, in, in certain aspects. Uh, Danny Hosen's goals, both were of really low uh, expected goal quality. And, and, you know, that's not to take anything away from him. That's just to say, look, Minnesota, you know, kind of limited uh, him to a, two goals, a lesser. Well, he, okay, that's fine. But if you're going to look at it from, you know, a situation of could we, uh, is that the type of shot that we repeatedly want to give up? The answer is probably yes. Those are shots that you're okay with. You know, if you're if you're going to be a bad defense, those are shots you should be okay with. And the ones that are happening, and trust me, they they just absolutely. I mean, they they got absolutely hammered at certain points. You know, uh, you know, Danny uh, Hosen ha- did have a couple of really high quality shots. Uh, Valeri had a couple of really good shots. They had, you know, uh, Jefferson uh, Quintana had several really good shots. There, these are those are the ones that we should be focusing on, even though they weren't scored. And believe me, when Minnesota and Adrian Heath go back, those are the ones they're going to hammer on on those on those back four. But to sit there and say, uh, you know, somebody was that's a shot that they that they you know want to prevent. You know, in reality, if they have somebody that charges that, if they had a defender that charges right. it, he very easily could have moved past them and created a higher leverage shot. And, and I'm, I don't want to deconstruct this and give Minnesota more credit than what they deserve on this. I'm just trying to say, let's not throw, uh, oh my gosh, it's the end of the world. Minnesota's terrible. Right, you right, know, right. party once more. Uh, when in actuality, it really. Uh, San Jose created a lot of opportunities. I don't know. I'm not trying to take anything away. <laughs> All right, but let's. Okay, okay, okay. All right, but 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 but, but let's. They did. San Jose did build up two point eight expected goals. It's not like Minnesota was just completely denied. You let that many like you have a. Generally speaking, if you're you know uh, allowing over two expected goals, you're not going to win matches. Sure, but just let's look speaking. at how many shots did San Jose have that were outside of the box, right? Out seven, seven. And and those weren't even really good. So, I mean, if you look at it, they had 10 shots, one inside the six-yard box that came from the penalty area. And those are the ones that they wanted. That's the ones that are, this is terrible. And from those, I mean, they didn't even, I don't know if they even got a block on any of those shots, which is even worse because then that speaks to the quality of how many of their defense getting and marking those shots. Those defenders should, in the six-yard box, should be closing those down. Those guys should be marked. That's where the real issue is, right? That for me is the real problem because I mean, you can't be giving up those high quality shots like that. Um, that's where I have an issue, not from beyond the the penalty box at 20 yards away. Um, if those are, if that's where your opponent's scoring his goals, you know what? You, you tip your hat to him. Uh, maybe yell at your keeper for having bad positioning, and you go about your day. Well, folks, if you've listened to the show a lot before, you will 
understand how surprising it is that that Harrison is high on Minnesota United and, and Ian is not. But uh, that's <laughs> I, I'm not high. I'm not high. That's, just, that's where I'm, that's where we're at. I'm right just now. saying, you guys. I'm gonna leave it okay, at that. Fine. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Uh, so Harrison has more faith in Minnesota United than I do, and that is a ASA show first, uh, world first. <laughs> so you heard it here. Uh, our next match was one of our more interesting ones. We touched on it briefly earlier. Uh, Seattle go down at home to brand new Los Angeles uh, football club, one to nothing. Uh, Los Angeles football club uh, weekend low, 0.48 expected goals for them. Seattle, one of the higher uh, expected goal uh, tallies at 2.52. This is one of those matches where you just, some these things happened, and I think you just kind of scratch your head and go, that's why they play the games. Well, uh, the other side of it is L.A. jumped out in front early, right? Mm -hmm, So that mm -hmm. tips the scale uh, greatly. If this is even going into the 60th or even 70th minute, do you think Seattle's throwing as many people forward or uh, L.A.'s, you know, uh, so conservative? Probably not, right? Like there's probably a little bit more – there, there's probably a little bit more neutral flavor to this, but you know, LA scores that goal mm-hmm. early, and as we talk about, you know, uh, game states matter. It affects and changes the way tactics are 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 performed and how coaches basically are aiming and positioning their team. So, uh, yeah, LA threw a goal. Uh, basically, they got two shots out. Um, Seattle had two shots at that point. Um, so to say like, this is representative of LA. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not convinced. Uh, I think that they have some really interesting place, uh, pieces. I think Carlos Vela is really good and I'm really excited to have a player like him, uh, in MLS. That being said, I thought Ladero, Will Bruin, um, Wolf Ikram, uh, all, are really interesting players. And it really, even you can go further to say, uh, Seattle's got some really interesting young players. Uh, Seattle, for what the most part of the last two years, um, if it's not me, uh, you know, bellowing about their old defense, you know, we can talk about Clint Dempsey and just, uh, so it, just the age, uh, the general age is rather on the, uh, the older side, uh, tends to be. And, um, uh, with Buana, with uh, Henry Wingo, you know, they, they have some really interesting young players now that are, you know, uh, uh, Tulu, uh, Nuhu, mm-hmm. just so, Delam. Uh, Del- yeah, Delam, maybe to a lesser extent. He's an he's probably going to ma- cap out as an average endless, uh defender. But right, right, right. You know, just this is a, this is a lineup that had a lot of a lot of new faces in it. Yeah, and and it's exciting to see them. You uh, the you know Brian Schmetzer showing the faith uh, in these young players. And you, granted, you know they're putting a premium on CCL, but that means that in turn you have to trust these young players. And not only did they perform, uh, I think well. I think it, the underlying numbers shows that they performed really well, and that's catered also to the fact that Bob Bradley kind of got a little greedy as soon as he saw a goal, and kind of uh, I don't think they closed up shop by any means, but I, I think they got very conservative. 
after yeah, that point. And I, given, you know, kind of their situation, the way their roster is built at the moment, I don't think anyone would blame them. Uh, and certainly oh. this is one of those games where there's, you know, one eye kind of on, on Champions League again for Seattle. So it's kind of hard to to, to, to sort of encapsulate anything from this one performance because there were a few caveats here and there. Uh, but, but good on LAFC for getting off to a winning start. That's always a great hey, way to start a hey, franchise. Tyler and, Miller. Uh, Tyler Miller played great. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. As somebody, I mean, we both, both watching a lot of Seattle games over the last few years, we both knew um, how awesome he, he can be at times as a young goalkeeper. And the fact mm-hmm. that they, that immediately right out the door, they gave him the, uh, the reins was awesome. I don't know if Luis Lopez will uh, end up getting that in the future, but it was really cool to see Tyler Miller get that start and to perform well. <laughs> Not based on yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it would be pretty crazy if Rob Bradley had a pull up at this point. So uh, congrats to uh, Los Angeles Football Club. If we have any new listeners that are Los Angeles Football Club fans, welcome. Um, and uh, again, thank you. Congrats on that. Uh, moving up north, this was a game that uh, probably one of the, like, uh, you know, a little Canadian rivalry here. Vancouver uh, defeats Montreal 2-1. to one. Uh, Vancouver 1.25 expected goals, Montreal 0.56. The one goal for Montreal is a bit flattering. This was all Vancouver. Um, one of the things that we talked about. Oh, you got to you got to mark on the back corner on the back uh, post. Yeah. You you just have to. Mark. Yeah, but that's what it comes down yeah. to. So, uh, very good showing from Alfonso Davies, who looks to maybe play a really big role this year that's very exciting someone that young and that talented uh finally be given you know the keys a little bit so go ahead go on son get out there do a thing his first major league soccer goal which i was surprised to find out but i guess all his other goals have been in canadian championship and international um and uh first uh i i could not i wish i could just make a gif of the kai kamara goal and just put it in his Wikipedia page. Like this is Kai Kamara <laughs> as a player. This is 100% why you buy him. This is hundred percent the chance he can do something with um, crazy header from, you know, not a close up shot going across goal uh, managed to get a ton of force and speed on it uh, to get it to, uh, you know, get it past Evan Bush uh, Vancouver, extremely cross heavy. And, you know, that was one of the things we talked about was that when they bought Kai Kamara, we thought that they were already crossing a lot and this was only going to encourage them to right. do that more. Yeah, no, that, I mean, that's that's exactly what we talked about. I mean, I mean that's that's kind of all of us uh, from uh, ASA kind of all started licking our, our lips in uh, excitement for all these crosses, right? Uh, okay, well, yeah. yeah. Well, we love crosses. That's, that's our favorite thing. Um, no, but I mean, really, <laughs> it, with someone that's that has such a dominance, and it's not even just that he's dominant in the air. He is such he has such a motor, like him coming back in the defense and winning so many of those possessions and and trying to uh, push the counter. I, I forget sometimes how athletic he is. He really is just uh, amazing up top, and I he's fantastic. If he's in the right, if he's in the right place, he is, he is. Absolutely. A, a Absolutely. And I will totally agree with you. I, I think at the end of last year, I would have disagreed with that. Um, and I think that's just because, well, two mm-hmm. things, right? Bias is, you know, we have that recency bias in, in our minds, but on top of that, I, being on the East coast and it, kind of this weird uh, rhythm that he had in playing for the revolution last year kind of prevented me from seeing him and seeing him 
in the context of the fact that he's a really athletic guy and game changer. He's yeah, he's by no means a he was no by no means bad at no. the New England Revolution, but it just it's not the right fit. This looks like it could be the right fit for him. This is you know a team that's just going to be setting balls up on a platter to him. So, uh, congrats to Vancouver. We expect big things from Kai Kamara going forward. Montreal. You know, uh, not a lot to say here. Uh, not a great game from them. They got their goal. Mancosu, uh, you know, ghosting off that back post. Well done. Uh, I think that's a team that's still kind of gelling together a little bit. Uh, new coach, uh, some new pieces uh, that kind of need some work. And I think we'll see that improve uh, as the season goes on. Uh, but for right now, yeah. Uh, right. Raheem Edwards looked kind of interesting. He had sure. some moments uh, beating some guys on the dribble and stuff. Uh, you want to continue to see that going forward. You know, obviously Montreal, I kind of thought that they'd be playing him at the left back. And it seems very much like they're going, uh, this is the second game, I think, uh, I've seen him play forward for uh, Montreal. So it it could be that Montreal wants to push him a little bit higher up the field than what he played for Toronto last year. So that'll be, that'll be kind of interesting. I don't know if that's the best, uh, that's where his ceiling is, but uh It'll be fun to see him see what he can do because he's obviously very quick, uh, much like his uh, counterpart Davies. Uh, he can definitely beat some guys off the dribble. All right, uh, moving on to our second to last game of the evening on Sunday night, and this was an interesting one. Sporting Kansas City uh, at home uh, go down to New York City Football Club two to nothing. Uh, Sporting Kansas City one point five three expected goals. Uh, New York City FC one point four zero. Uh, this was a uh, very even game. The score, I think, is a little unfair to Sporting Kansas City, um, but uh, just shows once again how um, New York City are here to play and they're here to get results. Uh, Jesus Medina uh, looked good in his first game, got his goal. Uh, Max Morales, a guy who only you know got five goals last year, but was a, a really big part, I think, in, in, the, in their creative buildup. Again, looking good. And uh, David Villa actually didn't score in New York City 1. So um, did get an assist, though. Uh, but it looks like Father Time uh, has still uh, decided to let him go maybe another year. Um, did you get any uh, Did you get any, any interesting takes on this game? Um, not especially. I mean, the one thing that uh, you could probably point to is the fact that uh, New York was just so dominant. Uh, which mm-hmm. I think is a little bit surprising, especially uh, with how good that defense uh, not only should be, but actually is. I mean, it, it just, it was a little surprising. I I thought that this is probably uh, a team, they, every team kind of has, and we, we talked about this with Atlanta and Houston earlier, you have that one team that you're like, ooh, they're going to play to my strengths. Um, yay. You know, so... Mm-hmm. Obviously, uh, sporting comes along, plays that possession style, and, and they have that high press, which just allows New York to have acres of space in the back, allows them to take advantage of that. And, and eventually they did. Uh, you know, so, yeah, I think that you're going to see a lot better showing from uh, sporting going forward. Uh, it was kind of interesting to see Rubio up top, I guess, uh, Kyrie Shelton had a little bit of a knock that they're holding back, uh, holding him back on. So, you know, I'm sure you're Mm going to see this uh, SKC team kind of evolve over the course of the next month. Um, Of course, they're not in Champions League this year, so they have a little bit more time to uh, get their first, uh, to deploy their first lineup and to get used to 
um, that going forward, something mm-hmm. that they haven't really had that advantage of going uh, in the past few years. So it's it's going to be uh, exciting to see Kansas City evolve. But NYCFC, man, they they just they're just such a dangerous team, and and it almost seems like I sleep on them. Uh, I don't know why, but I do. I, I will be the first. City. Uh, you know, the city that doesn't sleep, right? And yet here That's I am. Right. There you go. Uh, all right, our last game, our final uh, one of this weekend, saw a basically entirely new look Los Angeles Galaxy uh, take on the Portland Timbers and emerge victorious 2-1. Uh, uh, Los Angeles Galaxy, very, very um, dominant going forward. 2.96 expected goals. That was our highest uh, showing of the weekend from any team aside from Philadelphia, who were, of course, a man up and then two men up <clears throat> for a while. So, um uh, Portland with 1.5. They did get one through Blanco, but uh, I think the biggest thing to note of this was just that little four-minute spurt there um, where you saw Ola Kamara score the most Ola Kamara, both the Kamara scoring the most Kamara-esque <laughs> goals um, that I could possibly imagine. Uh, not a lot of players chess balls into the net, but but there you go. There and you and go, both Ola of Kamara. his shots were right there. They, I mean, but he only had two shots in the game, yeah. but uh, one was just inside the box and a uh, six-yard box. The other one just outside of it. So, I mean, he again, he's all about positioning. And, and with LA, he's probably not going to have a lot of uh, the high-volume shots that what he had in Columbus. That being said, he's, he's going to have those great spots. And something I, I thought Gio DeSantis was actually really good. Um, and, and it'll be really interesting going forward. You know, a lot of people yeah. have kind of speculated that Kamara might be the, exactly the, the best type of striker to pair Gio with. A uh, guy that's going to push and pull that back line a little bit out of, out of place um, while uh, kind of creating that space between the midfield uh, for him to operate. Uh, Geo to operate. So it'll be really interesting. Obviously, uh, Alessandrini, for those that watched, uh, went down with kind of an injury. Uh, I, from what I understand, it's a hamstring, so that should be a couple weeks. It'll be interesting to see if Chris Pontius can step up and and be that same difference maker um, that Alessandrini is. Uh, because uh, Alessandrini is an MVP quality player. He is absolutely uh, deserving of that number seven and uh, for LA. And, you know, Chris Pontius, it sounds silly to say, but he has big shoes to fill. Um, and I don't think that they quite uh, were ready to push him in that position yet. Uh, on the other side of things, uh, Portland, you know, it was uh, not bad. I don't think that there's anything to just sort of rend garments about or, or, or a whale and gnash of teeth. I think that that, that, that team's going to be fine as well. Uh, obviously, always kind of hard to do on the road, especially in a home opener uh, for a season. So, uh Good on Blanco for getting on the score sheet. I, I think it's only natural that we're going to see Valeri kind of maybe return a little bit closer to earth this season, and that shouldn't be, um, you know, held against him at all or anything like that. And I, I, it's only to, to be expected. Uh, but there's obviously still some tinkering to do in that lineup. I well, think. and it's funny because if you would have asked me uh, – it, uh, about Portland, I, I wouldn't have recognized them to be perfectly honest. In, in a lot of respects, they, they seem very different, and and that's I think in a in a good way. Even though they had a lot of similar players up, up in the, the attack, you know, Valeria, Adi, Blanco that they had last year, they still had almost a, a different flair, if you will, uh, in how they kind of approach the attack. So it'll be really interesting to see if that continues, to see how that develops. Obviously, um, they're going to have to figure out what they're going to do with Polo out on the left side. Um, I think he had some moments, but he, he looked relatively, uh, 
he, he has some polish that needs to be applied to his game. So the question is, how are they going to, they're going to, yeah. you know, kind of swap him and Asprilla uh, back and forth. How's that going to, how's that going to work? Um, so it, it should be interesting. Uh, but yeah, Portland's definitely not a, a finished product just yet. And that's, that's all right. All right. So, um, let us finish this off with uh, just a, a wild feature here that I, I, I'm just instituting right now uh, off the cuff. That's going to be a recurring segment, maybe. <laughs> Who was your Harrison Crow American Soccer Analysis Player of the Weekend? Um, I'll give you a second to think about it. I'll go first. We might have the same guy. Uh, mine's Albert Elise. Holy crap. Um no, you know, it's funny because uh, we, we kind of are sitting. The, the one thing that really jumped out to me uh, looking through all the stats that we kind of go through just playing the league and fantasy that we do, uh, Albert Elise had 12 dribbles. And I don't think I saw anybody with that high amount. And, I don't think I've ever seen Well, and, <laughs> no, so really we, yeah. again, really high. Alfonso Davies had nine. Really? So, wow. uh, oh, yeah. yeah. So um, if you're going to go with, uh, with him, I'm going to go with Davies. Uh, just because I thought both were uh, tremendous. So let, let's do a little bit of uh, counterbalancing. There we go. So uh, congratulations to Albert Elise and Alfonso Davies. Uh, if you want a prize, just contact me. I'll send you something. I don't know what yet. Uh, that has been our show. Uh, week one of Major League Soccer is in the books. We'll be back next week to talk about uh, American soccer analysis, amongst other things, including week two of Major League Soccer games. Uh, thank you, as always, to my friend, my co-host, Harrison Crow. Thank you, Harrison. Thank you. And uh, you can find Mr. Crow on Twitter at Harrison underscore Crow. That's Harrison underscore Crow. Uh, you can find American Soccer Analysis at www.americansocceranalysis.com. It's at Analysis Evolved on Twitter. We've got some really interesting articles up right now. Uh, one I read recently, Jared Young, uh, kind of comparing the strengths of leagues and uh, kind of using uh, the strengths to sort of predict, uh, you know, which leagues are good markets for Major League Soccer teams to look in. Uh, it's something I've always been curious about. It's a great article. I highly recommend go and check that out uh my name is ian uh you can find me on the weekends on twitter at total mls where i'll be making snide comments and gifts uh, of the weekend's action and you can follow my personal account at the 16th dog thank you so much for listening we'll be back next week and until then enjoy the soccer Birds like